the 1208-Bit Nerd Church Podcast, which is a part of the Jackson Cloud Network, an online church. If you currently don't have a church or can't go to church because of coronavirus, feel free to check us out. We've got YouTube videos, podcasts, and uh, discussion going on on the Discord channel. In fact, you can talk about today's episode and whatever else up on the Discord channel, but let's get to it with what today's episode is all about. So... Last week we talked about Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Which naturally took us into Tolkien. Which naturally took us into um, C.S. Lewis because they were friends, part of a group called the Inklings. We just thought that we'd kind of continue on that conversation course today, kind of talking about those Inklings. Uh, primarily those two. The other ones were famous too, but not famous enough for us to have read all their the works conversation <laughs> so i don't know really anything about c.s lewis mm. um i know you know i've read his books I've, I've watched the movies of like you know the lion the witch of the wardrobe and stuff like that i don't even think i've watched the later movies of lion the witch and the wardrobe yeah. uh but i don't know anything about his life other than him with the inklings because i was a huge tolkien you know, nerd mm. uh so wh- what would you say could you describe his life story a little bit Yes. So he actually, his book Surprised by Joy was kind of like his, I wouldn't say maybe memoir, but it was kind of like just his life, his story a little bit. Uh, Family life growing up for him was not great. His dad didn't seem to, I don't think C.S. Lewis was bothered as much by his dad as his brother was. Because I think it was at Lewis's funeral, his brother like gave a speech and wasn't too fond of life growing up. But uh, mm. and I, I I have not read a lot of these things in a while, so I, maybe <laughs> someone feel free to point out my failures in memory here if I'm off. Uh, but life wasn't gr- uh, his dad just wasn't the happiest person, is what it sounded like. It sounded like he was very grumpy a lot. Uh, maybe wasn't there too after he had gone through the war or things like that. So Lewis ended up in the war, and this is something interesting. I think for Lewis and Tolkien is they don't really talk about that part the war? of their yeah. yeah no it's just like absent. So well, I think that Tolkien kind of touched on it. Maybe Lewis did too. Yeah. Um, in some of their interviews that they've had, uh, where they talked about that it, it's just horrific. Um, war is just a horrific time. There's nothing good to talk about, um, and it just brings up bad memories of you know your your friends dying and and these terrible conditions you have to be in. So I think for Tolkien at least it was kind of a if I'm going to write about war, it's going to be in how it, how we can redeem like aspects of it, right? And that's where like Lord of the Rings kind of takes off some of the stuff from the war. But uh, no, he never writes about it like directly. To try to say, like, this is what happened when I was there. No, no, that sounds terrible. (laughs) Lewis, the rest of his life, you know, he he was an atheist uh, until eventually he got saved. Um, And it it wasn't like some people have that story. It was like, yeah, it was just everything was changed in a moment. I was down on my knees. Uh, convicted and and that's not Lewis's salvation story it's actually you know for someone who's gonna go and kind of change the world with his writing uh, for him he talks about like he was on a bus he wasn't a Christian 
And when he got off the bus, he was. <laughs> like, that was his story. Was like, he had been having conversations or whatever, I think, with Tolkien, if mm-hmm. I remember right. And yeah. Probably some others. But at the end of it, suddenly it was just like, I, I can even find the quote. It's a somewhat famous well, quote. Well, I, I can say that I connect with that a whole lot. Yeah. I was not a uh, I was not the person that was like saved with this holy fire inside of me to go and just start you know crusading for God kind of a thing. Now mine was definitely more of a uh, I was reading and C.S. Lewis's stuff on uh, why he didn't choose like Buddhism and stuff like that and why he chose Christianity um, played a, a large influence on why I became a Christian. Um, but it was more of a choice. Like I just was wrestling with some thoughts and I said, you know what? No. I, I believe these Christian values and I believe that there is a God and I, I, I can definitely believe that a God would want to, um, that God that is all loving and all powerful um, is going to want to love um, the people that he created. And in that sense, he's going to sacrifice himself if he has to in order to maintain that. And then he's going to cheat death, which he, which is just <laughs> like insane, um, which is cool also. I don't know. People always talk about, you know, cheating death and, like, how that, that makes them feel, and that's that's wonderful. Um, but I always think about, like, cheating death, and I'm like, that's cool. Like, what, like, yeah, that's a, that's a total, that's a story, right? Like, this dude just died and came back to life. Like, yeah, he's resurrected other people, but, like, no one thought, like, you could just not die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he, yeah, that whole... That, that that sounds similar to just kind of Lewis's reasoning is, you know, he comes around just as he's thinking. I mean, he's a philosopher, scholar, thinker. Really, literature is his big, big thing. Like, he was a, just constantly reading everything. Um, and then it's just the thinking that brings him around. He, the quote was, I know very well when, but hardly how, the final step was taken. I was driven to Whipsnade one sunny morning. And when we set out, I did not believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And when we reached the zoo, I did. That I had not exactly spent the journey in thought, nor in great emotion. Emotional is perhaps the last word we can apply to some of the most important events. It was more like a man after long sleep, still lying motionless in bed, becomes aware that he is now awake. (laughs) Yeah, I feel that. That's a salvation story. I feel that. Yeah. Uh, I I don't know. That just comes from that kind of that that same background of I wanted to learn more about what God was. It wasn't this emotional investment for me. Yeah. Um, which yeah, sure. You can, I I could be emotional like at times. Um, but no, yeah, I, I feel that. I feel C.S. Lewis. I feel like he was on a good path with that. He had a good mindset there. Yeah. And from there, you know, he goes on to pretty much just so. Being a smart individual who's written all this stuff, he basically just starts to take all of that smartness and just put it in the direction of Christianity, which in some ways, like people didn't at the time love what he was saying or writing uh, as often as the case with the prophets, if you will. People don't want to, people will kind of bash you and, and hate what you're working on. Um, but today he's very celebrated, you know. Uh, he would uh, he went on to write many books. He went on to do, I think, Mere Christianity is one of the popular uh, first ones that he put together. But that was, if I remember right, a series of radio broadcasts. 
uh, the scripts that he had basically written for uh, the radio to talk about what is just kind of like the basics of Christianity, what do we believe and why, and things like that. So suddenly he goes from someone on the outskirts of Christianity to like full center, uh, which was always kind of, I think, weird for him because he's not a priest, he's not a pastor, you know, he's... He's not a leader in the church, and now he's speaking on behalf of the church. And, <laughs> and I think he was actually, like, he was nervous about that a lot. Like, I'm not the guy who should be the one doing all this. But at the same time, he's got all this knowledge to start putting into it, and he does. And he becomes a spy at one point. No, kind of. Kind of. So. No, no, you gotta explain that kind of. You can't just, <laughs> oh, I guess C.S. Lewis was kind of like a spy. Ah, oh, never mind, though, we'll move on. No, can I explain that a little bit? So, if I understand this story right, this actually surfaced recently. It's like MI6 or something what? needed to um, get a. They needed some land uh, from. Uh, let me find an article. I can do this. Wait, Jim, are you saying that people can go to where they can find podcasts and where they watch this podcast and find our, our, our first one that we did last week? Is that what you're saying during this time? What? Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> I didn't know that people could do that. Well, now you do. <laughs> uh, so the British Secret Intelligence Service, the for real MI6 is what it says. All right. So they, they needed to, um, during war needed some some land to like camp out on but they didn't have a good relationship with them uh so c.s lewis addressed the people of iceland in a broadcast called the norse spirit in english literature because <laughs> he's an english professor you know and he loves nordic stuff like that's like oh yeah one of his fortes so they they need some land in Iceland, but they they don't have a good relationship. So British television makes this series with C.S. or this episode with C.S. Lewis about the greatness of Icelandic mythology, you know, and and that's how they kind of bridge a gap. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, and uh, he said he. He didn't know why he had been asked to address the people of Iceland, but he agreed to do it in order to repay a great debt. <laughs> so he explained that his imaginative life had been awakened by Norse mythology when he was 14. He wanted, went on to explain his love of Norse mythology only deepened when he learned the Icelandic language at Oxford. So it was a, it was a radio talk, four parts, two records, uh, and I believe this helped them kind of bridge that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. You know, we got to talk about Norse mythology one day. I don't know if you have like learned a lot about Norse, mytholo Norse mythology. Only in the God of War video game. The most recent one. I haven't played any of the other ones, but the most recent one was like a cinematographic masterpiece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and it's nothing like the other ones. No. I, yeah, I've seen gameplay. <laughs> I tried the other fun. one right after. I was like, this one was so great. I, I need to try those others. I was like, oh, this is complete. No, I don't like this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, to that's really true. But Norse mythology is actually crazy, and I want to get into that sometime because uh, 
I, I've learned a lot about it just having Tolkien and C.S. Lewis kind of be those big guides for that. Mm-hmm. And man, when Christianity started to influence North, Norse mythology, there's some hilarious things that <laughs> happen. <laughs> well, we definitely need an episode on that because I don't know anything about that. But I will say Lewis's love for fairy tale and mythology like that, you see it invade his work in really cool ways i would say that there's pieces of uh there's pieces of uh narnia where you're like yeah you can feel like mythology from different cultures making its way in here but then somehow telling this beautiful christian tale his favorite author was george mcdonald um whom i don't think people would really know who he is except for the fact that c.s lewis wrote a whole book about George McDonald. <laughs> I have no idea who George McDonald is. Or he was collecting his quotes, maybe. But either way, like, yeah, George McDonald is, a, I think, a pastor, but he was like a fantasy fairy tale oh, wait, wait, wait. writer before Lewis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And for, Christ, for Christian, like, Trying to find Christian ways to tell fairy tale, which is very strange because you don't expect to find that. The guy was kind of fiery. Like any quotes from him are very intense, but like <laughs> Lewis loved him, so he was a huge impact on on Lewis, and I'm sure that's part of the reason that he ended up himself writing things like Narnia. I tried to read one of McDonald's books. I think the audio book I was listening to was just so old, like I couldn't track with it oh okay the audio was really bad <laughs> but the writing was also older as well so it, it took some time to yeah that's an, that's an old bit. thing that's a, that's a fun thing that old fantasy writers like to do mm-hmm. is they like to simulate their own version of old english yeah and uh man that's dense and hard to read mm-hmm. and it takes forever because they're not even getting old english right yep. at some points <laughs> well i wanted to like it but it didn't quite hit me like it hit lewis i guess yeah uh, but you also see, I would say other things in Lewis's writing would be like, uh, well, okay, I should clarify this. You see those mythological traits show up in his writing, which for some people, you know, they just think of like a cult or something like that. But Lewis, he talks about like one of his big struggles, and he says this in the uh, Surprised by Joy, was his fascination with the occult. He talks about it as like a sickness that you can't understand unless you have it yourself is that it was constantly a struggle for him to stay away from that stuff because he believed it was real. He had a professor who um, really tempted him to get into that kind of stuff. So, like, for him, like, staying away from magic and the sorts was, like, uh, one of the ways in which he was obedient to God was, I, I need to keep my distance from this. But at the same time, you see him, like, take those elements and craft it into... Uh, like some like Narnia, you know, like you get the Santa Claus. Yeah, <laughs> he's never called Santa Claus. <laughs> Father Christmas. <laughs> sure, okay, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, that there was a lot of questionable. Like people are like, really? Like this just doesn't feel like it belongs in the middle of this. But like, it was an interesting choice to do in line and language in the word. Uh, but yeah, he. Uh, he had a fascination with it, trying to keep his distance. And then you also see, like, characters rise up, like, uh, you know, the White Witch and 
and the deplorable word that she speaks that would destroy a whole planet. And you see even like, I think it's Jewish mythology behind the white witch, or this is actually biblical mythology as well. First off, if you read the first book, you'll realize she's a giant, which is a biblical, you know, giants were the line of, um, the bloodline of angels having sex with humans, giving birth to the Nephilim in Genesis 6, which is the giant race that sticks around all the way until after Goliath. Anyways, anyone who just heard that for the first time is like, what <laughs> did you just... <laughs> we, we can do a whole series or episode... We'll have to at some on point. biblical mythology and all that. Yeah. Um, but I think he borrowed from that for her. Uh, plus, her name is Lilith. No, sorry, she's... Oh, I was about to say, I, I know Lilith. <laughs> I think she's dis- she's supposed to be descended from Lilith. Oh. Because she says at one point, is like, that she came about from Adam's second wife or something, which is Jewish mythology. Well, that's not mythology. That's just some Jewish writer in between testaments wanted to explain where demons came from or something. So, like, oh, it's Adam... Adam after or before Eve married some demon lady and gave birth to demons together. So so Lewis, I'm like Lilith and and Adam's <laughs> first wife. I'm like, wow, <laughs> he he must have read that. He must For have sure. known it because yeah. you can't just like accidentally tell that story with the same characters and whatnot. So like he's borrowing from all these things. So Narnia to some extent is like the story of of mythology all over the place coming together to tell like a very intriguing tale so yeah wow and then she rises up and acts like a demon you know and lives like a giant which it's just interesting to Wait, see. so is she supposed to actually be a giant she is a giant what she's not like huge she's like bible giant sized but or i i think so hang on i she, i wrote a post on this she definitely wasn't in the movie no. She was just a normal adult giving children Turkish delights. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Giant. Uh, so Mr. Beaver in Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe says, She's no daughter of Eve. She comes from your father's Adam's first wife. They called her Lilith. And she was one of the jinn that... Jinn? Yep. That's what she comes from on one side. and the other side, she comes from the giants. No, no. There isn't a real drop of human blood in the witch. So, like... Within her character is supposed to be all of the mythology of evil. She's not even like human. You she's, know? A, she's a genie yeah. and she's a giant. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so if you read the first book, the Magician's Nephew, yeah. like, she destroys a whole world because she's... I've read that book when I was a kid. Yeah. I don't remember that. Well, I, I didn't recognize half of this until I had studied the Bible and mythology closer. But he's he's totally just wrapping all the things that he loves up into one story so yeah in her case like she's not human at all she's mm-hmm. she's of the bloodlines of evil and she does evil she destroys a whole planet just by speaking one spell you know? see, see now that makes more sense why in the movie they're like humans humans are coming here that's crazy yeah when like it's like there's a woman here that's like terrorizing you that's a human why aren't you more afraid of these humans yeah, no. <laughs> no they bridge they bridge the gap 
for her to leave her bad, the world she destroyed to come to their world. And then Magician's Nephew does this whole snake in the garden type thing where she's a snake. I wonder what that means. Yeah. <laughs> the allegory in, <laughs> allegory in Narnia is very clear, which doesn't bother me because I, I enjoy it. But, <laughs> but yeah, as we've said before in Tolkien, it's very hidden and whatnot. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. But yeah, it's just interesting to see how Lewis takes all that and it's like, what's the epitome of evil? Hmm. A genie giant. <laughs> a genie giant. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we actually were playing through a D&D campaign where you guys had to uh, to face a genie. I'm yeah. a DM in our group um, where they had to go against the genie. And uh, one of my characters just was like, they, they, they won the first two. And the genie was like, you know what? All or nothing on this third quest, this third riddle, right? <laughs> I'll give you I'll give you double what you asked for. But you'll, you'll have to, you know, you'll have to give up your soul to me. And one of my players was like, yeah, let's go for it. Let's just go for it. You mean your wife. My wife, yeah. Yeah, my wife. I was like, I'm out of here. Before we destroy this whole game. But yeah, back to Narnia. Genies are bad, guys. Don't, don't, don't risk things with genies. Never yeah. goes well for you. Well, I, I, that's part of what I've loved with Narnia. The more that I've come to understand Lewis's life, the more I've come to understand uh, much of the things that he was writing in there. And there's actual like Lewis scholars. I mean, there's I think Tolkien scholars too, who just mm -hmm. give, give their actually. I think Cornell. Yeah, Cornell at Spring Harbor University. He what his master his dissertation dissertation was on, was on Tolkien. Tolkien. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing. He actually would. We do, should bring him in. To we talk should. About That'd be amazing. <laughs> he would know so much more than me. Yes. Um, and me. Yeah. I mean, he. So this guy teach used to teach a class on Tolkien um, every other year, and he would go into like the the intricate details of like the hierarchy of uh, the angels that exist and how God exists in Tolkien's world. It's amazing. We definitely got to get him in sometime to talk about Tolkien because uh, I feel like the nerds watching this would be like oh, geeking yeah. out with us. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, it's just uh, this is part of the reason that their worlds are so intriguing in general is that they were studied people constantly in books mm -hmm. trying to bring the stories that they knew to life retell it for a Christian narrative and and it's just really cool to, to watch how it all comes together and I think you even see the Holy Spirit working um, through their writing in intriguing ways too like uh, the fawn in Narnia mm -hmm. uh, you know the classic fawn with an umbrella that uh, was an image Lewis had in his mind when he was a boy and like you know, call that a vision, if you will. I, I don't know. It just it sticks around for a while. But when you find out later that Lewis basically, and they wouldn't have called it this, but from like a Holy Spirit study, you, you could go this direction. Uh, Lewis wrote with images. He'd have images come to his mind. And he's like, interesting. Like, there's a certain smell that lumps these together. I don't know much about them, but... Just kind of like put these here, put these here, start writing into them, and then it comes alive while he's he's putting it together. So you see, like that 
in in olden times would be called like prophetic vision. Like it's not like your world's just overtaken. It's just something popped into my mind and I, uh, I took that somewhere. But uh, he stopped writing fiction as much when the images stopped coming. Hmm. It's more or less how his friends describe it. Is he he started having dreams about lions? Here comes Aslan. You know, it's like. <laughs> All these things just working through his mind in intriguing ways. So that's interesting. Yeah, because Tolkien uh, didn't seem to have those kinds of like inspirations. Mm. Like he didn't like dream and vision like what was going on. He was more methodical and he like created like a language literally for yeah. his people and like created a world with like deep backstory. And I think this is actually interesting because uh, I like Tolkien for that reason and you like C.S. Lewis for those reasons, mm-hmm. right? And we, we both uh, DM for different D&D campaigns yeah. and they're totally different like campaigns, totally different styles of DMing. Um, I do more um, like by the rule kind of uh, exploration is a big, big part, but you don't really leave like the material plane too often yeah. kind of thing. You're kind of stuck where you are and you have to physically get from place to place unless there's high magic involved. To where, uh, from what I've heard about your campaign, there are Pokemon being introduced, <laughs> and there are uh, there are were octopuses, <laughs> octopi, and um, uh. so so what? So obviously, C.S. Lewis was kind of an inspiration mm. there, right? Mm. So like, how how has C.S. Lewis kind of inspired what what you've been doing? Because I know he you've talked about it a lot in church and stuff, right? Mm. Yeah, I mean, first off, you know, he's like one of the greatest recent apologists Christianity has had. So he's just very smart. And uh, that to me was a huge deal because in Christianity, there's just a lot of blanket statements made all the time where it's like, that doesn't make a lot of sense. You know, and this guy forces you to to think about things uh so there was that that really pushed me but then narnia like those are just books that i'll like cry while i'm reading like anytime aslan shows up doesn't matter what he does i just cry <laughs> it's powerful like when yeah. i read it i was even like this is this is a big moment and i like yeah. wasn't a christian i was just a child when i was reading it mm-hmm. but it was it was a big moment so i feel that yeah like i it's weird to say, but it's like a spiritual experience when Aslan shows up, almost as though there's like something very anointed in those moments. It's not that like every word Aslan says always perfectly matches God, but like there's these moments that it's just like, oh, this is so powerful. And and the way that allegory is a huge, I love allegory and Lewis was the one who made me realize how much I love it because he does it so well. Mm-hmm. You know, like the lion will breathe on you, and when he does that, that's the Holy Spirit. Like it's whether it empowers you or brings you peace or things like this, and just the way in which they kind of craft out, in, in which he crafts out all these subtleties that are nowhere near as subtle as Tolkien, but <laughs> <laughs> they're just constantly making you think and grow and and uh, um, come in contact with God in a, a different way. Like, there's this certain loving presence to this lion that's also, like, greatly to be feared at the same time. It's like, you know, I, this, this finally brings light to 
how I think God's character makes more sense to me. You know, it's like, because yeah. you always have that conundrum in Christianity. It's like, I'm supposed to be afraid, but you're a loving father. But, you know, like, what do I do with this? Then you get the lion who loves you and plays with you. You're like, oh, okay, you know, interesting. Um, but um, uh, I was going to go somewhere with the lion. Does it go anywhere with a lamb? Is there any lambs involved? No, because the lion is the lamb. Yep. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course, you have the very obvious crucifixion scene in Lion Witch in the Wardrobe where he's uh, killed on the stone table, which releases a deeper magic that even the queen didn't know about, uh, which is a, an interesting way to put the cross story, you know? Because, yeah. like, a lot of people just look at it as like, oh, the lion died instead of me. But instead... Lewis brings a more of a biblical perspective of which overthrew the witch because there was something deeper that she had missed and what that happens. So I think it's first Corinthians that if the principalities and powers didn't, you know, if they had known what they would have done in crucifying Jesus, they would have never have done it. So Lewis brings that to light. Well, yeah, I mean, that's that's that helped me when I remember watching it, for like watching the movie and uh, as a kid kind of sitting there and going, Wait, like, so when Jesus died, it wasn't just like a sacrifice. Like there, there is yeah. more to that. Like it was a plan. Like there was, it was just victor. Yeah, and like uh, as a kid, when I was like hearing that, um, it was one of the things that made me go like, because it's so, it's so obvious um, that it's Jesus, right? Mm. Um, that even as a kid, I was getting like, that's Jesus. What does this mean? Why is this working? And I think that's what's great about C.S. Lewis to me is that uh, he can communicate with kids through this imagery um, in such an obvious way, especially if you are growing up in a culture that is primarily Christian, right? Like in the U.S. or went back then in the U.K. Um, so that was just a huge moment for me of realizing, wait, so Jesus just didn't die and then like come back. There's there's more to that. There was a reason for him. he wanted to die in that moment almost. Like there was a reason for it. Like he didn't want to die. Obviously that yeah. that that's a pretty painful experience, especially the way he went through it. But mm. he was accepting that this moment was going to change the world. You know, yeah. and he was gonna be he was willing to make that sacrifice to change the world. And yeah, man, yeah. That, that's a that's a crazy cool moment. Yeah, I think all those moments being kind of in your face is part of the reason where you, you can see yourself in it, you know. Later, Eustace turns into a dragon, and the way in which he tries to fix himself by, like, scratching all the, like, uh, dragon pieces off of him. Scales. All the scales. Yeah, he's just, like, scratching all these scales off, but every time he does, they just come back up until... Aslan shows up and he's like, you need me to do that. You know, like, oh, <laughs> you know, it's, oh that, that's so true. And then like he fixes it by throwing like first off, he's got to dig deep. He's like, this is going to hurt, <laughs> you know. Uh, but then he throws him into uh, a lake, which is baptism. And mm -hmm. when he comes back out, he's he's been redeemed and restored. It's like. Wow, I never thought of baptism in that light before and bringing God. I got goosebumps just thinking about it. It's like, yeah, that's 
Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. I, I've never actually heard that part of the story. I mean, I read the books a little bit. I don't know if yeah. I've ever read all the way through all of them. Well, the more you, uh, you uh, as kids, you'd read these and be like, well, that's really cool. But when you're an adult and you see what Lewis is doing, and if you're studied somewhat in the same things Lewis studied, mm-hmm. it's even more like, you know, like it all comes to light. Uh, and he, uh, he had a whole... There's other pieces into it that the scholars keep trying to figure out. They're like, where did his seven books come from? What was the point of that? I think the most recent study, which was a long book, was that Lewis was writing into different planets in the solar system or something like that. Each book was supposed to represent. I didn't know enough about that when I read the book to like understand any of the things that they were saying. <laughs> but again, it kind of showed like the things he was interested in. He was trying to pull it all together. And his other uh, series was, uh, his other fictional series was a sci-fi trilogy, which needs a better name than that, but that's just kind of what it's called, Lewis's sci-fi trilogy. Really? That's it? Yeah, I know. It's kind of Give it a name right now. Well, all the... uh, If you don't do it, I'll do it. You do it. Bartnum. Okay, Okay. all right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> sure, I don't know where that connects, but me either. I never, I've never read the series. Well, that series is he. He's got this guy who kind of gets kidnapped by this devious scientist, who then goes to Mars or Malacandra, as they say in the Martian language. They land on Mars, and he tries to survive for a very lengthy amount of descriptive pages. So I, I had a hard time getting into it because it was all description. There's hardly any talking uh, is what it felt like to me. Uh, maybe I'd feel differently if I read it again. But by the end of the book, I don't even fully remember what happens by the end of the book. <laughs> Honestly, the most interesting in the sci-fi trilogy for me was the next one where he goes to Paralandra or Venus is technically where it is. But he's kind of sent there more or less by like an angel of sorts, I think. And once he's there, he has to stop the Eve of Venus from messing up in her Garden of Eden. And in the end, she does uh, the right thing. And their, their, their version of humanity is like instantly glorified because of it. And it basically fast forwards to our revelation, like everything's just perfect, you know, like, Hmm. and and it was a very intriguing way to watch that be told. Likewise, the bad guy from the first book, like gets there too, and he's the one who tries to tempt her the whole time. And then you find out that he has a demon. So like, now you have this interplanetary, demonic, spiritual, (laughs) uh, Garden of Eden retelling in this very intriguing intriguing manner i want to play in that campaign yeah i actually last week put my people in that campaign they walked through a door to another planet and then i made leviathan show up from the bible (laughs) he's like you know gonna destroy you and eat you when he shows up he's like hey guys what you doing like he's a nice guy and they're like what is this he's like oh this planet's unfallen the leviathan on your planet i think is uh very different. <laughs> so imagine what if all the spiritual beings of the Bible didn't mess things up and and everything was perfect. So I threw my people in that campaign last week. That's awesome. Yeah. But you know, Lewis 
Lewis told some of those stories. And at the time, some of the things that he told, they're like, scientifically, we think this may be... Well, some of the things you said sound like they might be accurate with some of the science we're currently thinking of. He's like, I don't know anything about that, but okay. <laughs> but then he wrote this brilliant essay. Like, what do you think about aliens? And do they exist? And why? And, and he gives all these super insightful answers. <laughs> and it's part of what motivated me to write like a short book about alien life. Would it exist? Would it not? Are they saved if they're there? You know. Yeah, yeah. Like, alien theology, right? Yeah, yeah. So I went to write that book, but like Lewis had already basically answered all those questions super well in like five pages of, of the <laughs> essay. But like seeing someone even open to those kind of questions, because I remember when those questions had come up in church before, I was listening to a radio show. They're like, what do you think about aliens, Mr. Host? He's like, if God wanted... If they existed, God would set it in the Bible, in the story. You know, it's like, oh, all right. <laughs> and then I was out looking at stars one night, so I was like, what do you think, aliens? And they're like, no. <laughs> I was like, well, I just wanted to think about it at least. And then I find Lewis has already thought about it many decades ago <laughs> and was willing to speak up about it. That's part of what I like about yeah. Lewis is he'll, he'll entertain the conversations that other people want. I wish I could have met these people. Yeah. Right? Like, I wish I could have been alive while these people were alive. Mm -hmm. They have so many cool things that they could have taught us, you know? Uh, cool, like, ideas. And especially, like, if they were alive today, you know, what would they what would they have been talking about? How What would have been their opinion on, you know, Black Lives Matter? What would have been their opinion on um, uh, the coronavirus and all that kind of stuff? How would they respond to it? And... Uh, I think that'd be interesting. I think yeah. just to ponder those those things of like bringing um, old authors and old um, philosophers and all, all old older um, entertainment people even that had a huge influence on their time. You know, if we brought them in today, what would they be doing? Mm -hmm. And uh, whenever I ponder that, I think of like with especially with like C.S. Lewis and Tolkien, I feel like they would be they would be prolific about these yeah. things in, in such a way that they would demand attention through a, a, a source like they would be writing still and they'd be talking through interviews and stuff like that still and man I, I think that they would definitely have some really interesting perspectives I, I think that they would have so such an interesting perspective that the world probably would not enjoy what they had to say oh, yeah, at the yeah. time because just like they didn't at that time yeah, yeah. yeah. especially when it comes to um uh, with Tolkien and Lewis, some of the bigger things that they handled was um, they didn't like industry, right? Yeah. They didn't like that the forests were being deforested at you know rapid rates, and they actually put they were working with people to to make sure that didn't happen. Um, and people at the time were like, "What are you talking about? Industry's great. Like, look at all the things we can make." And uh, you know, it's around that time when we get also bombs that are able to be dropped on a city and completely destroy it. Yeah. And I think that these people are kind of going, really? You, you, you don't see how this is bad. Mm -hmm. You don't see how this is scary. And uh, we keep going in our future and you realize now there's so much technology around us. I don't think they'd be anti-technology, but I definitely think they would say that we need to take a step back from our technology sometimes and just look at the world for what it is, you know? And uh, that's for me is something that 
I miss in today's writings. Mm-hmm. We don't get authors anymore for like fantasy and sci-fi. Well, sci-fi more we do, but yeah. for fantasy, we don't get many writers who are willing to discuss topics mm-hmm. at the time. Mm-hmm. It's more this: I have to create an amazing story that has grand arcing themes, and it has no message for today. Yeah, has no message for the future other than hey, don't kill people all the time, or like, and even then, most of the fantasy writing today, um, a la Game of Thrones, The Song of Ice and Fire, The Witcher series. Um, it's either about the magic system more, or they're trying to be as real life as possible with, you know, quotes, real life. Yeah. Um, which doesn't really doesn't really teach you anything. Mm-hmm. Like, it might teach you a little bit about yourself. You learn a little bit about your decisions that you make every day and whether or not they're good. You can wrestle with what characters' decisions in the books um, can do for them. But I feel like C.S. Lewis and Tolkien were kind of the last... In an age of telling stories that they wanted to have an impact on the person's life. You know? They didn't just want to entertain you with their book. They wanted to teach you something with their book. Yep. So, I don't know. That's just a thought that I had about C.S. Lewis and Tolkien. And that I, I'm kind of annoyed with today. So, if I ever wrote a book, <laughs> I, I would have more life lessons in it. Yep. Um, which you probably have noticed in my D&D campaigns. Yep. They're all about learning something about yourself and learning something about... Um, the world that you live in. So, mm-hmm. uh, for example, uh, don't you know? Just go working with genies all the time, and <laughs> maybe uh, maybe learn about a culture before you try to change it. You know, yeah. uh, that, those were two big points in the last arc that you guys went through for my campaign. Hey, I wasn't in charge. That was your wife. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. That's true. Uh, but I, I guess for like Lewis, um, one of the questions that I've always had, I don't know if we have time. I don't know where we're at. Uh, we're time. good. Okay. If they don't want to listen, they'll turn it off. <laughs> Some of you already did. No, sorry, go. Got them. We're making fun of our one viewer, Jamin. <laughs> <laughs> They're not listening. They're fun. Uh, but I always wanted to know more about the, those, those lessons that kind of C.S. Lewis talks about. Because I've read... Uh, and one of the big impacts on my life was the screw tape letters and mm-hmm. those kinds of books from C.S. Lewis. Are there any other books that have uh, made an impact either on you or you notice they've taught a great lesson um, that we would that we could talk about a little bit from Lewis or yeah from Lewis. Yeah. Well, uh, first off, let me say screw tape letters. He hated writing that book. Yeah, people wanted a sequel and. I don't want a sequel for that book. <laughs> <laughs> well, he... And this, again, kind of comes back to that, like... I, I don't know. He, he hated writing it. He's like, I've never felt so... Like... I had to think like a demon to write that yeah. book. And it was much easier than I expected. <laughs> and so it's almost like, Oof. feels like, you know, and living your mind in that dark place to try to write out, he's like, that was not enjoyable. He he wrote, I think it was like a little one, or like a few page sequel. Uh, it's like a toast for Wormwood or something. And it was just like one thing. But like people kept asking him to write another. He's like, I can't. <laughs> so I'm not going back to that again. Yeah, I feel that. Yeah. So you almost see like just the power of his thinking again. What if he harnessed it for for evil, for the sake of good, but yeah. <laughs> but harnessed it for evil 
Uh, he's like, I don't, I can't put my brain back there again. So uh, that one, um, that one, I think woke a lot of people up to like, oh, you know, I really do need to pay attention to my thought life and how I let Satan feed that and things like that. Um, and then before I answer your question too far, the other thing I was going to say on sci-fi and like teaching yeah, yeah, lessons yeah. and whatnot, he found ways to like we wouldn't even notice this today, but I noticed it the more I learned about him is like animal experimentation was Ooh. more probably newer or hot topic at his time. If you pay attention to Narnia, like he addresses that. So he finds way to talk about hot topic issues too. Because mm-hmm. in The Magician's Nephew, the bad guy, the magician, uh, uh, is uh, um, doing all these tr- magic tricks more or less or, or science tricks trying to um, put this ring on these hamsters to see if they'll what will happen if they do it. He's got this ring from Atlantis. So again, he's bringing in mythology, uh, but he's trying to like use it on hamsters, see if it'll, what it will do to them. Eventually you find out these rings warp people to other worlds mm-hmm. and that's how they get around. But uh, um, the hamsters like explode when he's working on it before and he just kind of like laughs about it or whatever. And uh, it's like, ah, that didn't work. You know? That's funny. Yeah. yeah, which to us is just like, oh, we don't think about it because animal experimentation is so common and whatnot. But at, at that time, um, like that was a hot topic. And Lewis's, Lewis's belief was if we're going to start treating animals like this, like it's going to stop us from treating humans and just life in general we won't care about it like we used to so so that was his way of writing into a current hot topic by adding it to fiction look at how hardened this guy is to to just like your guinea pigs at your house you know yeah. it's just like whatever it's gonna blow well, up. i guess not touching my guinea pigs yeah well that's the way he wants you to think of him <laughs> yeah. right and but he's he looks so normal at the same time like just like whatever i'm just doing science so so that was his way of trying to kind of like write into important themes and whatnot. Uh, I'm not sure about some other ones that pop up at the moment. I need to think about it. Um, but that was one. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, as far as his books go, they're just so across the board. I mean, there's some that are super dull and boring. I'll be honest. Like, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a huge Lewis fan. He's probably my favorite writer. But some of the books um, I don't find super interesting. That's partially because of who I am. Like he has a whole book about literature and teaching it in the classroom mm-hmm. or the importance of that and things like that. It's like, obviously I'm not going to enjoy that. I'm not a lit professor, nor do I understand A, the topics he's talking about, nor do I understand B, the time frame in which he was talking about them. So there are some books that aren't uh, super interesting. But I just find that across the gamut, he has a lot to say. Like he has a short book about the Psalms. And I know I'm supposed to love the Psalms, but I'll be honest, as a pastor, I've never connected with them to the rate at which other people do. Partially, I think it's the ancient language. It never translates into poetry to me. That would strike me as like (laughs) hugely beautiful, though I imagine in Hebrew it really is. Um, But he has a book on the Psalms that finally made me like, oh, maybe I do like the Psalms or... (laughs) <laughs> like it's just it's very like devotional thinking about it i wouldn't think that lewis would have something quite that 
intriguing from a devotional perspective, and yet he does. So, talking about uh, going to, like, hearing uh, the Psalms in Hebrew, mm-hmm. I went to a uh, synagogue in Chicago one time, mm-hmm. and uh, they, 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 you know, the way that they, like, went through the processional at some point was they actually sang, um, and then we were in the book of Psalms this for this kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. It was weird. Um, I, I don't know if this was, like, a newer... Like it, it seemed pretty late. I don't know what to call it for uh, Judaism, but like a late stage synagogue. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they accept a lot of uh, stuff from the Old Testament that like Christians would say is like part of it. But like yeah, you know. And uh, but they had singing of like psalms and everything just as a as a cool um, little little feature. Like this guy was just singing part of the psalms. It was beautiful. Yeah, it was amazing. I imagine it would be like, wow. <laughs> yeah. Whereas in English, I'm just like, you will conquer my foes. You know, <laughs> right. like, this probably sounds a lot better in another language, or well, or, yeah. And this guy was like trained by people to sing it the way that it would have been like the way that they would have kind of. Not necessarily saying it back then because we don't really know, but in in the like the what's been kind of passed down throughout that culture as a a way to sing it right, and yeah. so it had all these. If, if, I'm a music nerd. Um, I went to college for music, um, so he was doing like semitones and stuff like that in between, and like um, sliding into things in in such a way that was just so so beautiful that um, in our modern music, you know, we we use psalms to kind of write these. Worship music, worship like songs, right? And uh, man, it just doesn't hold a candle to uh, to like just this singing that has been tempered and and uh, just worked on throughout the ages that humans yeah. have been on Earth, you know. And man, that stands up to time for sure. Yeah. Well, at least for me, the best reading I've seen on just the Psalms would be from Lewis. So it's a sh- short kind of devotional book but like very insightful so that that would be one that if you like me haven't heard tyler's experience of (laughs) great reading and hebrew this one's a good one to get you into it uh obviously the narnia books are great uh i don't know that i even love all of them but there's always moments in all of them that that really strike me. Uh, uh, the Great Divorce, you ever read that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's in my house. Yeah, so that one's like a interesting look at conversations like in the afterlife, mm-hmm. you know. like uh, For him, I, I think he, he was into the idea of uh, purgatory, and that, that book kind of gets into yeah, for sure. you know, this in-between state of souls talking about things they haven't let go and it's a it's a round table for sure yeah um it, it's uh a lot like the the books where you kind of see like the socrates you know round table where people are just philosophizing over things well this is a round table of people just uh theologizing all over things so yeah. yep. it's it's pretty interesting for sure i, I recommend just reading through uh, a lot of c.s lewis's works if you haven't mm-hmm. um just because you're gonna learn something you're just gone. Yeah. And again, they're across the gamut. I mean, Till We Have Faces uh, was like, a, I couldn't even connect with that one. Though some, especially literature professors, would hail that as like 
his gold, like <laughs> his hidden gold, the book of books. Uh, but it gets into a lot of like Greek culture and it's fiction from that perspective. But it's also like a retelling of some ancient tale that I didn't know. So like, oh, so like I just couldn't, I couldn't connect because I didn't understand what was going on. But that one like doesn't match anything else. It's, it's, and in my experience of reading that book, there was hardly anything Christian about it. So like, it's, <laughs> like I couldn't, I couldn't connect. And I'm sure that's not the case. But uh, you know, he's got a grief observed, which he he wrote under a pseudonym. But people, what was a pseudonym? Was oh, it, I was don't it, remember. Was it, it Butt McGee? It was not Butt McGee. I do know that much. But like that one, his wife had died. And he was really like wrestling with God about. Well, like, now I feel bad about saying this. <laughs> <laughs> As you should. His wife had died, and he he really struggled with God over that, and he just wanted to kind of like blast his feelings out about all of that. Yeah. So that sounds great. He wrote it, that. and he wrote it under a pseudonym, and. Uh, People who read it was like this feels like Lewis, <laughs> so like he <laughs> he couldn't hide. He eventually got found out, and so now it's just published as C.S. Lewis. But yeah, uh, interesting. Yep, there's lots of others, and new books seem to keep coming out, <laughs> <laughs> which is a little annoying. But the publishers there's there's a collection of essays from it's like a thousand pages. It's really good. It's just like fun to read through it. Publishers are taking all those essays and clumping them into like these ones sound alike. Turn that into a book, you know? It's yeah, like, yeah. And so there's there's more coming out. But if you've read through all those essays, you've read through whatever is coming out. So <laughs> just a heads up. So uh, one of the one of the things I've noticed was uh, in your your fiction book that you wrote. Mm. Um, that was kind of like a retelling of the Gospels. Yeah. Uh, that seemed to be from when I read Narnia. A very like C.S. Lewis inspired. Would you say that he had any? Uh, yeah, it's plan in- that? entirely inspired by. Okay. C.S. Lewis. <laughs> so it's nowhere near as good or descriptive or anything like that because I'm not a fiction writer. But like it, the way that he made themes of Christianity pop with Narnia, I was like, I basically want to take the last four books I've written and now retell that in the same way that Lewis did so I can communicate these themes in a, in a way where it pops a bit more. Especially the kingdom of heaven was supposed to be one of the big themes and that is... Like, the water kingdom. Huh? The water kingdom. <laughs> yeah, it's like how do, you, how do you make the kingdom of heaven pop where it's not just like this place you go and you die but it's this place that's coming to earth right now being rained down upon it things like that so so i actually so with like the water kingdom and everything um i find that interesting that you wrote water um like it being a heavenly kind of a thing right mm. um because a lot of the time in the bible whenever i read about water i'm thinking chaos i'm thinking yeah you know satan rising from or and that, dragon rising from that the... is true this is why <laughs> allegory is never perfect yeah, yeah, yeah the reason i took it as the water kingdom is because like um, chapter two, three, chapter three, they get baptized, and while they're underwater, they find themselves in heaven, basically. Yeah, yeah. But so, so it's the baptismal waters of the water kingdom. Yeah, is kind of what I'm doing. But that kingdom is going to be coming to the earth, 
So it evaporates in the skies, rain down until heaven will eventually take over. So it's not a perfect allegory because well, I mean, from, from, from a biblical perspective, that would be the flood destroying the world, right? So, <laughs> but from the perspective I was trying to tell, it was like heaven's coming to earth and it's going to overthrow. No, I think it tells that. I think it, I think it yeah. says that for sure. Hmm. It just made me kind of ponder quickly when I was reading through it or while I was listening to it when I was on the road. Um is just you know water how it connects with like chaos in the bible and stuff like that um like maybe if you had like a a deeper perspective which you did so i i appreciate that um so if you haven't read it that's it's literally just called the water kingdom though right uh yep okay the rise of the water Kingdom. rise of the water kingdom okay yep and i've talked a lot about lewis so you know i'll try to wrap it up but there's still lots of other books the closest thing that sounded like screw tape letters was letters to malcolm which was a book he didn't finish i think before he died oh really oh well that's part of the reason it's kind of hard to read is it's not entirely finished or thought through if i'm remembering right like i said it's been a while since i've read these so some people might need to correct me and then there's just yeah there's there's lots of books he wrote a lot i mean a really good one just for christians in general as uh um Maybe you had to read it in core class. Maybe not. Uh, He's talking about Spring Arbor University's core yes. program. Uh, the Problem of Pain. Uh, problem of Pain. No, I never had to read that. Well, that's a great book. It's just Steve about... Steve Castle, if you're listening, <laughs> you didn't make me read this. <laughs> well, Norwood did. I don't think it was all other classes. But no, it's just like, really. why is there pain in the world? How does God use it? And Lewis has a very insightful... Uh, look at that you know pain is god's megaphone to rouse a sleeping world type thing so anyways worth reading for sure and all of them really are so yeah and most of them are audiobooks if anybody's just looking for a simple way to coast through it all so does he have any audiobooks that he actually recorded because i know yes i mean not really i think it was a just a radio broadcast or something but it was of the book uh, the Four Loves. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I have that recording. And it's so old, it's hard to like hear what he's saying very well. Because it sounds like someone recorded it off a of vinyl and then put it to... Yeah, but it's him. But it is him, yes. And it's uh, his voice is not like super entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> he's a writer. He doesn't need to be. There's a movie called The Shadowlands. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's C.S. Lewis played by uh, Anthony Hopkins. No, I've never It's seen about that. his love life, which is a whole other... <laughs> it was this lady from America who's writing him letters, getting into a nasty divorce, and Ooh. then they got married after that. And that's what the movie's all about. Then she had cancer... And then she died, and that's where the grief observed Spoilers. comes from. Well, <laughs> this is kidding. someone's real I'm just life. <laughs> but the Shadowlands, they show Anthony Hopkins at a church, like preaching in front of everyone. It's like, <laughs> rah, 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 fiery. And I'm like, that does not match the vinyl that I listen to. <laughs> Lewis is like, and fire. Yeah. And, uh, and hell. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that brings me full circle. What I was going to say earlier the lion. Focus on the Family has their own Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe. Oh, sorry, not just that. All of Narnia recorded as audio plays. And if anyone ever listened to, like, Adventures in Odyssey Ooh. or anything like that, like, they do really good 
plays, audio plays, because they work for radio. And That's awesome. They put all of it. You can stream it on like I, Apple Music. It's probably Ooh. on Spotify. It's almost, it feels like it's almost word for word the entire books in audio format. So everybody listen to that. Except don't ever listen to Aslan. This was my this was my problem with it. Like when I read Aslan, I cry and I feel loved and scared. But in these audio plays, Aslan's just like gonna eat you at all times. <laughs> it's like they didn't get you know, Liam Neeson. N- no, they should have. <laughs> but with this Aslan, you just get like a. I will rock. I'm like, who, who casted this? Like, this doesn't sound right at all. It's the most important piece of this radio play, and it's missing. <laughs> so, I, but yeah, otherwise, it's great. That's weird. Yeah. yeah, I was just like, I'm. Okay, he's a lion. I'm. I'm gonna try to do a lion thing. Yeah, guys. that's kind of what it sounds like. <laughs> like. Liam Neeson, spot on. I cry when Liam Neeson comes on, but this guy did not hit the. You mark. mean it's Star Wars, right? Qui Gon. Uh, I will forever see the bottom half of his body spinning in circles. Oh, goodness. Oh, dear. <laughs> we were kids when that came out. We watched a man get chopped in half and fall down a in- never-ending hole, man. Can't forget things like that. That was Darth Maul, but yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you still can't forget it. <laughs> Well, uh, yeah. According yeah. to new lore, he lived through that. What? Darth Maul, yeah. How do you live through that? You gotta watch Star Wars The Clone Wars, dude. No, how do you live through that? The Force. He was so mm. in touch with the dark side of the Force that he was able to tap into its power no. and sur- make him survive. It made him go insane. No. It made him go <laughs> so insane. It's so good. It's so good. You need to watch it. What, what series is this? Star Wars The Clone Wars. It's a Cartoon Network thing, and it has become one of the best, like interpretations of Star Wars. I've heard so many good things. You gotta make it through like the first season though. It's very childish because they, they didn't know really where they were going at first. Okay. I was gonna say whatever I watched I didn't really like that much and I'm just gonna be honest the art style really bothers me. At the beginning it's really bad. Like the it's pointy really like yep. polygonal. Yeah. I was like oh, I can't look at this. So. Just just push through that first season. Oh. I know a lot of people say that for a lot of shows. You shouldn't, <laughs> you shouldn't have to push. No through one that should first have to season. watch through twenty hours worth of video to get to something no, good. You could no, I wouldn't say you could totally skip it, but like. It's really good. Like, the last few seasons are so good that it makes up for the poor quality of those first seasons. All right. That's what everyone keeps saying, so. And then there's Star Wars Rebels, which had a a similar, like, the beginning was okay, but the end is amazing. And you just got to watch through them, man. All right. I'll give it a shot. Ahsoka's one of my favorite Star Wars characters of all time. I don't know who that is. Yeah, if you watch the Clone Wars, you would. (laughs) Her voice was even in the last Star Wars. What? Yeah, the newest Star Wars movie. Oh. Yeah. Good to know. When they're all like, Ray, Ray. That's her. She's one of them. Oh, so she's. It wasn't just her voice, it was actually her. Oh, oh, you mean the. Like all, all the, the Jedi, Jedi are, are like stalking, okay, yeah. Right. Gotcha. Get up, Ray, or whatever it is. Nice. Clever. Yeah. Cool. Well, now I have something to go watch. You all have something to go read. (laughs) And I may have ruined plenty of facts on things, so feel free to fact check me. Um, 
And I think when we come back together next time, we're talking about the Dark Knight of the Soul. Oh, yeah. In other words, Batman and Faith. So We're only talking about the Adam West Batman, though, right? It's the only <laughs> Batman we're allowed to talk about? <laughs> no, no. Darn. That's okay. not a Dark Knight whatsoever. <laughs> that would be a good morning of the soul. <laughs> And I think after that, too, we've got a Baptist pastor from Jackson, Dallas Flippin, coming in to talk about Snowpiercer. Oh, yeah. Which I just revisited this movie because I've been making some posts online about Revelation. He's like, Snowpiercer, I see so many connections to Revelation themes. I was like... You're gonna tell me more about that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, we're gonna nerd out, nerd out about that. I wanna, yeah. I wanna hear some of that because I, I watched Snowpiercer when I was like really little. Well, I, oh, how old am I? <laughs> I, I wasn't like really little. I guess I was like in middle school or high school though. Okay, well, I watched it a few years ago. Wasn't that into it. It's like from 2010, 2011, right? Yeah, I think so. I just rewatched it. I was like, this is actually. An interesting tale. Yeah, Captain America's in it. Yes, Captain America's in it. So we'll get ready for that. We've got more coming up and plenty more to talk about as well. Uh, And uh, we'll be back next week with more of the 1208-Bit Nerd Church podcast. Part of the Jackson Cloud Network. And hey, if you like games, join us for Nerd Church sometime, whether online or in person. You can learn more at 1208greenwood.com. Stay funky fresh, ninjas. You're still looking for your catchphrase, aren't you?